for the extras. My name is Jack. And I'm Sam. Wonderful to be back with you for another week. Uh, we have been having just yeah a terrific time over the last couple of weeks on Peace Sundays at church. We've, yeah. we've been wrestling with the book of Proverbs. We've had Dan Wu coming and preaching to us. Sam, yeah, maybe you could give us a bit of a reflection on what are the, what, you know, what do we see on Sunday? What struck you? Yeah, look, I loved Sunday, and I know many of you did as well. Um, really struck by, I mean, what we were doing on Sunday was we were looking at Proverbs chapter 19 uh, with one particular proverb about the sluggard whose hand goes to the bowl and then just stays there, doesn't even return back to his mouth. Just marinating in the salsa. <laughs> That's right. In the, in <laughs> the great the, line. Yeah, it was very good. Um, and just, I was really struck, I think, by how, how the Proverbs work on you. You sort of have this initial level of understanding at the basic level and you can see the picture and almost laugh a little but then you pause and see that in yourself and then actually as we push deeper into seeing uh, particularly with its connection to the to the verse before uh, how actually a lot of that um, sloth comes from I guess a out of order relationship with God uh, that that zeal from God has has gone and uh, and I was challenged and uh, encouraged um, yeah, and I found it very, very helpful. It was indeed, yeah. And I mean, we can tell that that's been the case for lots of you as well because we got a lot of questions on Sunday. A lot of people clearly wrestling hard with these yeah. questions about sloth and apathy and idolatry and, and rest. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think, I think this has kind of touched a nerve for us. So really good that we can get into some questions. Indeed. So we'll, we'll have a crack at them. We've had a, a number of questions come in. We're going to tackle seven, I think. Yep. Um, on, we might just go back and forth again. We'll do it back and forth, right? yeah. yeah. Loving it. Do you, you want to... Okay, so the first one here is uh, looking at uh, the verse just beforehand, uh, verse 23, before the verse we looked at on Sunday, uh, which uh, Dan connected for us to 24. um, And someone said, look, what's the Hebrew for Proverbs 19.23? My other language Bible says, one passes the night in satiation, uh, which links nicely to the food theme rather than the English one rests content. Yeah, really good question. I've got my kind of Hebrew dictionary out before me, and that's telling me that the word in verse 23, it's, it's a word that can mean like satiated or it can mean satisfied more broadly. So I think, I think it's a word that does have a foodie connotation, but not necessarily. It's that kind of picture of being, yeah, being satisfied. So um, the other word that's in the verse is that there's a word that means kind of to, um, to spend the night. So, mm. you know, it's saying, you know, one spends the night satisfied, I guess, is the picture. Mm. So, yeah, I think it's probably something that, would, you know, I'm definitely not an expert and haven't done heaps of work on it. So hard to know whether the, the foodie connotation is there, but it seems like the picture of sleeping satisfied and, yes. and that kind of thing is what's in view here. Yeah. So I'm not sure if there's any explicit connection to the food theme, but... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think possible. I mean, my, my Hebrew says "ask Jack Day" generally, <laughs> and so uh, that, that's what I've done. Uh, but but it just, I mean, I, I think there is a sense, isn't there, that you sleep well with a full tummy. Mm. You, know, you know, you're trying to fall asleep hungry, and it sucks, and you're like, yeah. I've just got to go have a bowl of wheat bix, and that'll make me feel better. <laughs> right. uh, there, there is something in that. that um, yeah. Yeah. How, how tightly to draw the food link to the previous verse, uh, to, the, to the following verse? Sorry. Uh, I'm not sure, but yeah, I, can, I can see the, the link there. And it's a nice little link. Yeah, I mean, touches on a, a question we'll come to later about how much do the Proverbs connect to each other versus verse. So maybe yeah. we'll, we'll come back to that in a second. Yeah, good, good. Well, let's keep going for now. So yeah. another question that's come in. All throughout Proverbs, the words wisdom and knowledge and understanding and sometimes insight are clustered together. Yeah. And the question asker said, are they synonymous or is there a mm. distinction? And if there is, what is it? These different words, how do we understand yeah, good, them? Good question. I mean, getting your vocabulary right is, is very helpful. And th- I think there is what we call a sort of semantic overlap, uh, that, that words often sort of connect in in the same sort of area of language. And so there is some synonymousness to them, mm. uh, but... 
uh, I think there's also some distinction. And I guess the distinction that I would probably draw out is, of those four words, um, I think knowledge and understanding are, are sort of very... Um, uh, understanding the ins and outs of how something kind of goes or works or you, mm. you know it, you understand it as opposed to wisdom and insight, which I think are a little bit more, well, once I know how stuff works, wisdom is how to then apply that knowledge. Is that the right or the good thing to do? Insight is sort of being able to see what, you know, get, having the inside track of what, what might happen should I do something. And mm. it's a little bit more reflective and um, yeah, on, on the notion of insight rather than on the how does the engine work or yeah. how, how does the, you know, the building come together. So yeah. you got perhaps, you know, a more sort of cognitive, mental, like, you know, head knowledge picture. You know, that's going to be a bit of a pejorative term, but like in that sense, yes. it's, you know, it's, a, it's an intellectual kind of thing. Yes. And wisdom and insight, it's that kind of looking into the world and bringing the knowledge to bear on how to live in God's word. That's and, right. You know, that kind of almost like, like savviness. There's kind yeah, of that sort yeah. of, you know, I, looking I into that's things. that's right. And, and I guess there's the old distinction that you can draw between someone who knows a lot about things but doesn't, but is unwise mm. um, and doesn't know how to apply that knowledge well. Um, that'd be the distinction I draw between those two types of, of word there. Yeah. I think there is something in the fact that um, Proverbs does kind of use them interchangeably, though. Um, yes. And often that's, like, Proverbs has this Hebrew poetry vibe, which is often you have two lines of poetry where it says the same thing two mm. different ways, or sometimes, mm. you know, the opposite thing. But yes. you have these, these parallel setups where wisdom is parallel to knowledge. And I think there's something in that, because I think that the kind of the wisdom that Proverbs is calling us to is this this mm. this mental knowledge thing. Like we need to know God and know his ways and know the world. Yeah. But we don't just leave it at just understanding. It is meant to transform how we live and we're meant yeah. to take that knowledge and apply it to living in God's yes. world as and I think they, that's right. They are by nature um, connected because you can't apply knowledge if you don't have any. You can't be yeah. wise without knowledge. That's right. And yeah. uh, if you've ever heard someone try and give you wisdom when they clearly don't understand the situation, mm. um, I, I think you, you understand how connected it up they are yeah yeah really helpful okay let, let's push along um uh last week we, we were talking about um feminine nouns and and uh pronouns and that kind of stuff uh mm, lady in, wisdom lady but, wisdom yeah. hebrew being a gendered language someone's texting noting that in uh chapter 19 there were male pronouns in the original uh but in the niv translation some of those uh pronouns have been sort of uh made genderless uh and so are the translators changing the intended meaning when they um, uh, sort of make those things gender neutral? Mm, yeah, it's a really good question, quite a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe to try and give an example to flesh it out. Yep. If you look at Proverbs 19, verse 3, so a little, little earlier on, in the NIV it says, A person's own folly leads to their ruin yet their heart rages against the Lord. Mm. So we got, uh, this is in the NIV, it's something about a person, which is generic, gender neutral, you know, any any human being. Um, in the Hebrew, the word behind that is the word Adam, mm. or Adam, as we would say in English. So it's the word that means man, and you know, it's also yep. Adam's name, but that's yeah. kind of the point in Genesis 1 and 2, right? Yep. Like it's, yep. Adam is man. Um, so it is a word that, it, it means, you know, a human being, but it does have this male connotation. Like, it mm. means man. And, I mean, part of it's hard for us to understand that because English, we just don't... We've, this is a grammatical category that has existed in English in the past, but we've kind of lost. Like, the idea of kind of um, the generic man. So, mm. you know, you know the old translation of um, Hebrews 9.27 and two ways to live, you know, man is destined to die once mm. and after that to face judgment. Like, we use the masculine word man... But in older English, it was used just as a generic thing. Like, you know, a person is destined to die once. Like, yeah. like, like man is destined to die. You know, man in, in that kind of yes. generic human sense is how it used to work. 
Um, over, you know, the past 70 years of, you know, Western history and sexual revolutions and everything that's come with that, that element of English has, has kind of dropped out. And I think for many of the people who are listening now and, you know, the English people who we speak to today, it's, it's, it's something that we don't... We, we basically have no category for understanding it. Like, if someone says, like, you know, man is destined to deny once, I think most people in 21st century Australia here, a masculine person... A is, male. Is, is, yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's, it's something that is... Um, yeah, part of the way English is changing makes that there's, there's challenges here, and that's kind of reflected in our translations. And that's right. And and so I guess what what we're coming up against here is how, uh, what we call translation philosophy, mm. um, which is how close are you trying to stick to the original and how things were written, and how much are you trying to make it make sense in a in a modern language which is moving away from gendered pro- pronouns, and so yeah. to talk about humanity or, or people as opposed to man. Uh, which really, really only the older members of our congregations will will, under, will remember those times where man meant humanity. Yeah. Uh, and so, if you've got an NIV, I'd encourage you. You should always read the preface to your translation. Most people just mm. want to skip through that and get to Genesis chapter one, but it's worth reading. And uh, there is a little section on how the NIV approached that, and I would commend it to you as, as, as reading that and understanding. And what they basically say is, look recognising this shift in modern English which no longer uses male pronouns to be generic, they've tried to, where it doesn't affect the meaning of the, the text, to use a generic word like people or they or someone mm. rather than him or he, um, if it is uh, uh, yeah, just general, but where it affects the meaning of the text, they try to retain the masculinity mm. of it. And, so, uh, and then they note at the end, look, uh, every human effort of translation is, is flawed and <laughs> our goal yeah. is to improve on what we had and keep pace with what modern language is doing as mm. it changes. Um, and so they've, they've given it their best shot, I think. Uh, I, I think on the whole, the NIV is a pretty good translation on yeah, this Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, yeah, there, there's always issues when you're moving from one language to another. As anyone who is uh, multilingual will understand, it is very hard to exactly render yeah. one language into another, uh, especially over the movement of time. So maybe to give an, another example of that, one of the places you see this all over the New Testament is around the words brothers and sisters. Yeah. So all throughout the letters, you have this address, you know, again and again, Paul says, you know, brothers and sisters, so on and so on. At least that's what the NIV says. Mm. In the Greek text of the New Testament, the word is just brothers. Mm. Now, the question is, is that meant to, is, you know, is the gendered nature of, you know, a brother being a male sibling, is that the thing that's really mm. core and critical to Paul's meaning at that point? Um, and I think I would argue that the answer is no. That as Paul says, you know, brothers, this is what I want to say to you. Like, he's, he's addressing Christians. He's writing that's letters. Family. Yeah, he's yeah. writing to the church as his, his brother's, in Christ, and and as he writes, that includes sisters, and you kind of know it does because there are points where Paul refers to women mm. in his letters. So you look at you know Philippians, and he's talking about these women Euodia and Syntyche. Like women are clearly part of the frame of reference. Yes, it's just that in Greek, that was how you said. You said brothers, meaning you know people. You know my yes. my homies. Like it's my yeah, family. Yeah, that's like, right. like that's the word and they there's, use. There's nothing nefarious in that. I think sometimes mm. with our modern goggles on, we can think, you know, if Paul only spoke to the brothers, he's sex- he's kind of sexist and only speaking to the men. Mm. Church is a boys' club. Uh, no, I think the, the intention there is um, just speaking to family, and so the NIV is right to call it brothers and sisters. Yeah, but that's slightly different to later on in Revelation, where where um, uh, John writes of the church as the bride of Christ. Mm. Um, again, there's nothing sexist in that. So it's only talking to the women who are married to Jesus. No, all humans are like a bride. Yeah, um, and to, to, if we change that translation to 
the the partner of Christ. <laughs> yeah. Something is significantly lost. You lose a lot of NIV has mm. has rightly retained that genderedness of the church as the bride, mm. uh, but in other points, like where it's referring to brothers, it's it's clearly not gendered language. It's brothers and sisters, and so. But that is the wrestle of translation, of Bible mm. translation, and um, yeah, something that that is not easy, and uh, but it's worth thinking through. Totally, yeah. I mean, other translations do it differently. So the ESV, another great translation, that will almost always stick as close to the gendered language of the, the original. So yep. in the ESV, you'll generally see brothers, brothers. when That's it right. says brothers. Mm. But then you also normally see a footnote down the bottom, it'll say, you know, brothers, you know, it'll say something much more concise than what I just said, but, you know, brothers is the generic term to refer to men and women in the church. So yeah. they, they, want, they, want, they have the idea, like, they want to keep the idea, but it's a translation philosophy question. You know, how much do you want to stick to as close to the exact kind of word-for-word, word, you know, picture of what's happening in the Bible, or is it, do we want to capture what this means and who it's meant to address? And that's a, that's a, a question to wrestle with, and it's yeah. good that we have different translations that we can compare. And Yeah, and as you go and read your preface of your Holman or your ESV or your NIV, each one will lay out for you what have been the guiding principles that have mm. driven our translation philosophy here, and you should go and read them so you can understand what they're wrestling with as translators. Yeah. I'm sure there's more to say to there. Yeah, more to say there, but we'll um, we'll keep going. We'll yeah. move along. All right, That's I think right. it's my turn to ask. Uh, cool. yep. So, uh, what's the difference, Jack, between liking food and treating food as idolatry slash gluttony? Yeah, great question. So, I think Dan helpfully started to move us, you know, through these different categories of sloth and apathy and idolatry and 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 to food as well. Mm. Yeah. Helpful question. Um, should you like food? I would say yes, um, yes, because food is a good gift from God that he gives us, like not even just to sustain and nourish us, but to enjoy. Like God has made good things and 1 Timothy 4, 8 says, you know, nothing that God has made is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. Like yeah. we shouldn't be ashamed about um, acknowledging just the good God-given pleasure of the things in this world. Mm. So yeah, like food. That's, that's a good thing to do. Yeah. The question then is, where does that cross the line into idolatry? And and I think Dan gave us some really helpful categories to think through this on Sunday. Mm. Um, questions, I mean, I think he was applying them more to thinking about um, rest more broadly, but, you know, bringing it down to, to food particularly. I think you could ask questions like, do I enjoy this food um, and then reflect that praise to God that says, yeah, thank you, God, because you're the one who gave me this good thing. That's, that's a wonderful thing. Um, or do you just stop at, look, this is just the best burger I've ever had and, you know, in its own right, like, you know, how great is this burger? It's the best thing in the world. Like that kind of, you know, mm. as if that's the end in itself. Mm. Like, no, like the good things God gives us are to point us back to him, that we would give him the praise as the one who brings us all good things. Mm. I think that's the line. It's, it's do you enjoy it in and of itself as an end, as the thing that you are worshipping? Or do you enjoy it and then worship God as the one who gave you that good thing? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And I, I found the, the Tim Keller quote around idolatry really helpful because I think ultimately gluttony is food idolatry. Mm. And so uh, the idolatry kind of idea that it's that thing that if you look at uh, in your heart of hearts and think, if I have that, then I'll feel that my life has meaning, I know I'll have value and I'll feel significant and secure. And yet without it, life would not be worth living. Mm. Uh, sometimes I think for some people, if you say to them, hey, you couldn't go out for, to eat this week, they'd be like, what's the point of living? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, mm. Which is a very different place to be. It's just saying, I love a, 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 when God blesses me with a great night out. Mm. I'm thankful to God for, for a good meal. Yeah, There's a difference. And, and again, it's, it's using Dan's categories that I thought were very helpful about mm. perspective and their sort of place in your life. Um, and so, and ultimately, you need to work out for yourself in in humility before God: is food your idol? 
Yeah. Um, or, or is it a good gift that you receive from God? And it is a, can be a subtle difference between a good thing becoming a God thing. Very subtle, but really crucial, yeah. Crucial. Helpful. Yep. All right, we'll keep going. Next question. Uh, we've got a couple of questions thinking about um, how do we wrestle with Proverbs as a book? You know, Dan's mm. really drilled into one verse here, but um, it's a bigger book as well. Questions come in. How do we carefully read single Proverbs for what yep. that proverb is specifically saying? Yeah. Without just categorizing that proverb under a wider theme and doing a topical study on that theme. Mm. So, for example, when you read another proverb about the sluggard, sorry, the sluggard, mm. would you come to exactly the same points as Proverbs 19.24 has mm. led us to thinking about the sluggard? Yeah, great question. Um, I think part of the answer is uh, wait till this Sunday, because I know what Dan is, is, is doing with this, uh, and he said uh, sort of from the get-go is he wanted to look at the... Proverbs at the individual proverb level, which is what we've just done. And then this week he wants to come back and think about Proverbs at the chapter level. And so I think part of the answer today is mm. watch this space. Yeah, uh, right. let, let's, let's see what happens come Sunday and um, uh, look, look forward to that. So I don't want to sort of spill the beans too mm. much at one level. Um, sort of not your beans to spill in a way as well. well yeah, that's right. <laughs> let, let's, let's sort of walk, walk with Dan. Dan yeah. yeah, exactly. And um, uh, see where we get to. Uh, but I think at the same time, the answer to the end of that question, which is uh, if you looked at uh, what another proverb says about the saga, would you come to exactly the same points? Possibly not, uh, I think is, is the short answer. Uh, mm. Again, depending on their context. Um, so, so one example of that perhaps is to go back to chapter 6. Um, and there is... Shall I read that for us? Yeah, that'd, that'd be helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Chapter 6, verse 6, actually. Is a, a six or seven verses here on sluggardness. Yeah. Proverbs 6, verse 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consid- it's such a good word, isn't it? You just want to say it again. again. <laughs> Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Mm. So... Great. So rich in in imagery, isn't it? Mm. Um, But a couple of things I would note. I'd note, firstly, chapter 6 is talking about sluggards, but it's in that chapters 1 to 10 section of Proverbs, not in the sort of 10 to the end section. So there's a slightly longer form. You can see it's not just a pithy little saying, it's a longer exploration of the idea. Mm. Um, So I think, yeah, where you are in the book does determine a little bit about how you read it. Um, and would I come to the same conclusions? Well, some, yes, um, but others differently. Here he's talking about poverty, which is not really on view in the one that we looked at. Uh, yeah. The one we looked at was more driving you to consider your spiritual apathy and your, your rest in the Lord and your joy in God. Mm. This one is saying, watch out. If, if you're not like an ant, um, all of a sudden you'll have eaten up all your food and you'll have nothing left and no job and where, what are you going to do? Poverty will come upon you. That's that's pushing me in a slightly different direction. Mm. Um, and that's the beauty of Proverbs. I yeah. think that, it, that it, it looks at these different issues from a variety of angles and each one is a word from God that I need to hear because I need to think about my spiritual apathy as much as I need to think about making sure that when I go to work I'm faithful and working hard and providing for my family and... Yeah, all these kind of things. Yeah, so to come back to the question, you know, how do you read the single proverb um, without just doing kind of a topical study? Mm. In a way, it's similar to a question you bring to any book of the Bible, which ha- how do you read the single verse and read the book as a whole, and how do they relate? Yeah. And both are important, yes. because the single verse in isolation um, can be, you know, we, we talk about 
you take the verse out of context, you can end up making it mean whatever you want it to mean in a sense. Like, yeah. we need to read the verses about the sluggard in the context of the whole of Proverbs and mm. seeing everything else that Proverbs says about the sluggard sort of builds up this picture for us. Like, we get a, a more fully sort of expressed, you know, picture to, to locate the individual verses in. But you need the individual verses to make up that picture, right? Like, the individual exactly things right. matter as well. Yeah. So I yeah. think seeing the kind of the thematic connections is helpful and mm. um, meditating on how they link is important. But it's mm. also, you know, drilling into just the single proverb with that bigger picture in the background is also important because that's where we kind of, yeah. as Dan has helped us to see, we sort of mine the richness of that single idea and, you know, yeah. it, it worms its way into us and makes us think about yeah. the whole of life in light of that kind of thing. Yeah. So in these verses we just looked at, you know, you see the... The, the poverty thing in, in chapter 6 and then the one in chapter nine, 19 it, it, you know, it sort of forces you to think not so much about the consequences of sluggardness which is you know, you'll be financially ruined or whatever but rather like the, the slothness itself like that mm. picture of the man with his hand in the bowl kind of drills you to think <laughs> what's going on in his heart that yeah. would lead to that kind of absurd inactivity yeah, yeah. so That's exactly right. they inform each other but they're also saying unique things as well and deserve to be meditated on in their own right yeah well I mean on this theme let's push on to the next question here Jack mm. um when I'm reading Proverbs, how important is it to read it in context with the previous and subsequent verses like we'd normally do in other books of the Bible? Yeah, so, I mean, like you said before, part of the answer here is watch this space because yep. that yep. is where Dan is taking us on Sunday. Yep. Um, I think, I mean, like you said, I think there is a difference in the structure of Proverbs itself. So chapters 1 to 10, they do have this more longer form, you know, broader chapters, mm-hmm. sweeping kind of mm-hmm. longer things. Um, and later on, um, there is seem to be a bit more of a sporadic different topics, you know, every verse is saying something different. Um, I'm not averse to seeing links like Dan has pointed out. Like I think um, it's, it's true that there are little clumps of Proverbs within the Proverbs as you go. So like Dan pointed out how verses 23 and 24 of chapter 19 link. And I think that kind of thing is there throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you know? Like, I think it's a case by case kind of thing. It's yeah. a, it is like a, a, a deeper meditation, reflecting on the verses in front of you, and yep. being aware that there are those links. Um, being aware that sometimes there might not be links. Like, I think sometimes proverb does just jump from topic to topic, and yes, yeah. that's okay. And, but, and so, I guess part of that is read the book. Yeah. Um, keep, keep so read the individual proverbs, but read the whole chapter and see what you notice. Are there recurring themes? Does does the author come back? Does the collection come back to? certain themes over and over and is there a movement perhaps uh, perhaps there's not um, but but look for it and mm. ask the question if it's there and if it is there um, and for me I think repetition is one of the things that just generally as a Bible reading habit uh, whatever part of the scriptures you're looking at if you see an idea getting repeated a number of times often that's a little bit of a, a signpost to say hey this is important think about this and mm. then um, it's not the only thing, but it's a, it's a helpful thing to look out for. Yeah, one of the classic examples of that in Proverbs is chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Yes. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. And then the next verse, answer a fool according to his folly, yeah. <laughs> or he will be wise in his own eyes. And, and we've got to think through how, those, how are both of those things true and true at different times. Exactly, and that's part of it, yeah. yeah. But seeing the, the repeated words, that's the clue to say, oh, mm, like cool. these two things... Saying the exact opposite thing, verse by verse, like, you yep. know, th- there's obviously something bigger going on here, which, That's again, right. just draws you into meditate on it further. And, and, and what that shows you is this whole, this little section is, is about what do I do when I'm answering a fool? Mm. And, you, you know, that moment when someone's asked you, you go, that is such a stupid question. How do, <laughs> how do I respond to that? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a time a, to say something, there's a time to keep yeah, your mouth closed, that, but that's right. wisdom is knowing the difference, I yeah, guess. That's it, that's mm. it. 
All right, we've got one more question to, mm. to round us out yep. uh, today. Uh, this is a question, thinking a bit more into these ideas of sloth and apathy. Yep. Um, there's yep. a long question here, so I'll kind of summarise it. Mm. Um, Dan pointed us at the end to um, thinking about Romans 12 and this idea of spiritual fervour and zeal yeah. as the kind of the counterpoint to yep. sloth. Yep. The question is, how do we become spiritually fervent? And what are some of the things that you do, and the question asker said Jack and Sam in brackets, um, mm. that keeps your spiritual fervor burning so that we become more loving and faithful to God and that flows out in kingdom-mindedness? So spiritual fervor, yeah, I mean, let's think about what that is and then how does that, yeah, how do we seek that for ourselves, I guess? Yeah, I mean, it really is um, the opposite of what we're seeing here, of the, the sloth with their hand in the, in the nacho, it's just sort of stuck, yeah. you know. Uh, that is the picture of, of just apathy and and uh, and often our Christian life can, can perhaps be a little bit like that. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think what is fervor? It's almost the opposite of that. It's it's um, this kind of keenness, enthusiasm, and energy uh, for the things of God, both as uh, in personally listening to God, but not just. But it's that mirror picture, you know, that, that God's goodness comes to us and then we reflect it back to Him in praise and. Uh, God honouring service and uh, love for God and love for others. I think mm. uh, zeal is is when that system is working well. Uh, yeah. when, when you're receiving and loving the things that you get back from God, and then and then reflecting them back to Him in praise and service and yeah. It's this picture I have in my head. I, I, tell me if this is just random. Where did this mm. come from? But there's, the word zeal, I, I feel like it has some kind of connection to like boiling water or something. Like there's kind of this bubbly, like effervescent part yeah. of the picture. I don't know if yeah. that's I Does that ring any bells? Or like, that might just be an illustration of someone using a talk to flesh out the point, or it might be something to what the word means. But I think that's yeah. part of the idea. That's this yeah. kind of like you know, you know, I'm I'm going, I'm kind of bubbling over, like it's you know, mm. it's, yeah. yeah. There's an overflowingness yeah. there, which yeah, again yeah. I think comes from um, it has to begin with God filling you, mm. uh, such that you then reflect it or overflow to use that language or bubble over. You yeah. know? Um, I think that's tied up in in, in, mm. in the word the word here. So what, is, like, what does that look like for you, Sam? Like, how do you seek to grow in spiritual fervor? Yeah, I don't think there's any magic uh, kind of uh, silver bullet to, to sort so of... 12-step plan or anything. Yeah, I, I don't think so. But mm. I, it, it is in many ways uh, the working of godly habit mm. into, um, into my life. And so... Uh, I shared a little bit last week about how we, we seek to do that with our parenting, with our kids, trying to teach them and, and give them the habit of thankfulness. But that's something I try for myself uh, on, on a daily basis. What am I thankful to God for? Uh, as I'm reading the scriptures, I'm often asking, what what good thing is God showing me here about himself and how, uh, and trying to reflect and, and consider that. Um, in my prayers, I try and begin with adoration of God rather than my list of wants. Mm. Uh, I try and just te- teach myself that habit uh, because some days my wants depress me and the, the things that I, <laughs> I need or that mm. I want God to do make me sad either about myself or about the world. Um, and, and that's right, but, mm. but I want to have the habit of before I come to those things and I do want to come to them but I want to start with the goodness of God and remind myself of that which I think lifts my spirit and causes me to have joy in God and, and give me a zeal to, to serve him so I think for me it's those very basic things of, of, of prayer of reading the scriptures of counting my blessings uh, being thankful to God uh, and then making those habits in my life as, as the foundations of, mm-hmm. of who I am I think um, yeah yeah Helpful, yeah. One of the lines that really struck me from 
Dan's sermon is this idea that um, you can be busy apathetic, that yeah. you can be rushing through life, having plenty to do, like you're not being lazy in that sense, and yet you can just be dead on the inside, just yeah. going through the emotions, not even thinking about things, just yeah. all task, no thought. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the spiritual fervor thing is kind of the counterpoint to that. Mm. So one of the things I try to think about is how can I just be not just rushing from thing to thing, but yeah. to, be, to be conscious of God and my presence before Him as yeah. one of His children yeah. in everything I do. Yeah. Um, and in part, that, that is just the, like, like you said, habit's important, but um, how can I, yeah, just capture that kind of yeah. consciousness of the fact that if something good has happened, you know, yeah. if I'm walking through the park and the sun's shining and it's yeah. the water, it's beautiful. Like, yeah. I'm trying to just grow in the habit of saying, gee, this God, awesome. thank you for that. Like, how yeah. wonderful is that? Rather than yeah. just, oh, that's good. You know, yes. move on to the next thing. Yes, and I think, like, yeah, I think the habits are important. One of the things, that, one of the habits I've dipped in and out of, and when I've been in it, it's been really helpful for this. Is just kind of a sort of like reflective um, thankfulness kind of um, mm-hmm. reflection thing. Like one thing I used to do for a while was um, every night before bed, I'd have this book by the side of my bed and I'd jot down three things from that day that I was thankful to God for, and and I'd you know quick prayer. Yeah, thank you God for those three things. But yep. to force myself to stop and look back and say, what did God do today that was just mm. awesome and, and wonderful and I'm, I'm glad for and yep. so I think yeah I should probably get back into it because it's yeah. really helpful yeah yeah and I find for me lately in particular um uh like I, I think it's interesting over the last year or so uh, I was so busy last year I had so much to do and I felt sometimes like last year was never going to end uh with all with, <laughs> mm. with the amount of things and and one of the things that I noticed in about sort of August last year was that because I was so stressed about how much I had to do I was sometimes skipping over my devotional time to get straight into it. Mm. If, I, if I don't get started, I'm never going to finish today. There's too much editing, there's too much video, there's too much whatever. Yeah. Um, and that was really unhelpful for me. So I actually had to diarize my um, uh, time with God and block it out and say, no, 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 this time belongs to reflection, thinking about God, uh, enjoying my relationship with Him. Uh, and it was quite hard to do for a while mm. because I felt the stress of, oh my gosh, I've got to get this done. And it's stuff that I was doing for God and for God's people and for the gospel, but it was actually unhelpful for me to, to skip over my time. And so in that busy apathy thing, I was busy, mm. um, but I, I don't think I was taking the time that I needed to, to listen to God and enjoy my fellowship with Him as I had been naturally. So if you're in a season of busyness, um, maybe as you're doing your diary, um, and my habit now is on Sunday afternoon before I head off to night church, I take an hour or two and I, I map out my, my timetable for the week and I put in my quiet time still. Uh, mm. I put in my exercise and then I put in my meetings after that and I put in uh, you know the, the things that I have to go to. Yeah. Um, and I, I make sure that those things are, are in the diary so that that way at church, if someone says to me, hey, can we catch up this week and do this thing? Uh, you know, um, I, I can look at my diary and say, "Look, I'm I'm actually busy up until nine thirty that morning, mm. but I can meet you from nine forty-five or whatever." Yeah, uh, because I've I've mapped out um, my time in the Word. Now, it may not be that you do yours at nine, or you might do yours at seven a.m. or whatever, but put it in the diary um, to give yourself, like, organize your time with God. I, I would suggest if mm. busyness is an issue for you. Yeah, thank you for sharing. That's so helpful. Yeah, helpful to see it actually. Yeah, how it's lived out. Yeah, mm. that's a good thing. Yeah. We're at the end of our questions. We're at the end of our time together here. Uh, So we're going to wrap it up there. Really looking forward to next Sunday as we keep working through Proverbs as we have Dan back again. Yeah, really looking forward to thinking about how we look at these bigger chunks of Proverbs and see how the book fits together. Fantastic. Look forward to your questions then. Look forward to seeing you on Sunday. All right. But we'll we'll catch you then. God bless and, and farewell for now. See you later.